Hey, welcome to the 100th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are super excited to be at episode 100. We're going to talk about a bunch of our favorite things that we've learned from making this podcast, and we are just going to kind of reminisce a little bit. I personally think it's going to be like the episode to listen to if you have to listen to one episode because we're going to share all the the tips and tricks that have stuck with us after 100 episodes we're distilling all of that knowledge down into 10 tiny nuggets that are going to make your career exactly the other thing that i did is i went through all our unpaid endorsements and i tried to write down all the ones that like have stuck with me and have like changed my life there have been some very good endorsements We also have some new iTunes reviews that are pretty funny, so we are going to get into all of that. It's another jam-packed episode here on Just Shoot It. But before we get into that, I would love to know, Matthew, what have you been working on lately? Yeah, man, so I started a new gig. Yeah, so I can't talk about it too, too much because um, it's a giant show with a ton of people and a ton of corporations and all that stuff, Um, but I can't say... I'm super excited about it. It's really fun. It's on the lot, which is really cool. I'm on the Warner Brothers lot. And, um, oh, cool. Where the know. Animaniacs are running around. Yeah, yeah. They've got paid-for-play contracts. <laughs> uh, pay-for-play. It's funny that I didn't get that joke until I was in my 30s, for sure. Oh, is that in the intro song? Yeah, or Animaniacs. We have pay-for-play contracts. Oh, yeah, well, of course you. How? how I, don't, well, I still what, don't get what it. eight-year-old would get that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's they a, have baloney in their sacks. I got that one. <laughs> no, they have baloney in their slacks, oh. and Bill Clinton plays the sax. Oh, okay. They're animani, totally insane. Well, animaniac. Clearly, one of us works on the lot, and one of us doesn't. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you actually, it's um, part of training, is to memorize that song. Anyway, um, it was. It's been super great. The team is all really awesome. It's been a crash course in that the show and what it's about and its vibe and all that stuff that I'm trying to nail and also just reminding myself of like, what do you need to do to be as efficient as you can in learning all of the people's names and figuring out where the pencils are and getting all the Wi-Fi, all of that kind of new job stuff you kind of have a crash course in while you're also prepping a show that you're shooting in a week and blah, blah, blah. It's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Reminds me, I actually had this conversation today with a friend. Uh, She called me and she was like, hey, I have a meeting today to pitch myself. Well, I have a meeting with a showrunner today to potentially direct an episode of this show that they're showrunning. It's in the fourth season. Um, And someone recommended me and I, she was like, I've never actually had a meeting like this where I'm trying to pitch myself on a show that already exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Um, you're the new kid in school. Yeah. And she was like, what, what do you recommend? What are your tips on doing? Like, uh, what should I be prepared for the meeting pretty much? And my biggest tip to her was, I mean, as dumb as it sounds was like, just like be cool, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like ultimately like when you are like trying to get a job on like episode seven of season four of a show mm-hmm. and you want the showrunner to hire you, they just want to know that you're not, a troublemaker yeah. that you're not going to come in with like a zillion crazy ideas that don't fit the brand of the show. Like if you have an interesting take or you think one character is really interesting and would like to like mm-hmm. y- y- passion like, is valuable. Yeah. yeah. And kind of yeah. seeing the potential in the show, 
You should obviously never insult the show or say you absolutely love something on the show, I think, because you don't know. The showrunner might hate this actor or this actor might be there. I disagree in that. I think it's okay to be like, hey, I really love this thing, especially if it's a unique take, as long as you have a smart reason why that you're ready to talk about. I think it's one thing to be like, oh, I love the most popular character on your show. That's a little uninteresting, right? Right. Um, I guess I, well, I spoke to a friend of mine. I mean, I wasn't even remotely considered to direct an episode of the show, but a friend of mine was a producer on this TV show and he invited me to come to see a taping. It was like a a sitcom, like a mm -hmm, multi-cam sitcom. And I was like, oh man, that, that was awesome. Like that guy is so funny. Where'd you find him? And he was like, oh, that actor is actually like this horrible actor. And we were all like super bummed and we like kept changing the script to make it work for him because he couldn't like sell any lines right in, um, in which case i would say oh well you know what he you guys really nailed it right. you really made it work <laughs> right. and here is a smart insight about this hypothetical actor that maybe makes the showrunner appreciate them a little bit more right. and kind of kisses their butt at the same time like i th- you, you're right like there is the possibility that you could step in it but again if you have an interesting insight if it's not the obvious thing to say about why you like something and if it's thoughtful and shows that you have internalized and really thought about this product, I think nine out of 10 times it's going to go over well. Yeah. But let's say that you're like meeting with the showrunner of Modern Family because you're going to direct and sure. you're there con- looking for new directors for season seven or whatever they're on. Like, you're not going to be like, Phil Dunphy, that guy is so funny, right? Yeah. Like, I think you can say, though, that's a perfect example. You can be like, Phil Dunphy, so great here's what he does really well. And you're like, you know, if you, but if you're you, teaching that you're like, oh, you I, say uh, what I love about Phil. Right. And then something specific and insightful. And then you say, you know, and it's sort of like the same way this character who's underappreciated does this other thing. And overall, I think your show does this thing really well. And I would love, that's a thing that I always look for in a show and admire. Right. I mean, I guess if I was the showrunner, that's information that I guess maybe is helpful for me to know. But I think what I would ask you in an interview would be like, so what kind of stuff do you like? You know, what inspires mm-hmm. you? What excites sure. you? What is your brand? Like, what makes you laugh? What yeah, makes yeah, you yeah. Yeah. The answer emotional. to that question is not your show. Right. It's I don't you know, I know a thousand times more about my show than you do. Right. And you, you don't even know what episode you are up for directing anyway. What I'm saying is that I, I think it's good to... To compliment the show. Not just compliment the show, but show your insight on the show. Right. right? Because you're right. You're not, you're never going to teach a showrunner anything about their show, but you can show that like, oh, you have, you are thoughtful and it's not a surface level understanding of these characters on this series. That's yeah. all. Yeah, definitely. If the question is, hey, Oren, what's your favorite stuff? You shouldn't say, oh, the show I'm interviewing for. That would be right. Uh, I, dumb. Yeah. I know in co- the commercial world, twice this has happened to me where I'm like, oh, I loved like the last spots you guys did. And they're like, oh, the client hated those. And that's why they fired their agency and hired us instead. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's like it, it's look, obviously you should be honest and truthful. And like, say if you like something, like feel free to mention it. But the interview is about them getting to know you and it's less about like come armed with like all these ideas for changing things or doing something different or like fixing the show Mm -hmm. or even, and don't even like 
to me like a bad sign is like when someone is like listing off their credits or like name dropping a lot in an interview yeah, like that. They if really you, just want to get a sense of you. Sorry, just to bring it back to what we're talking about, which is you jumping into a well-oiled machine is like, it's probably intimidating, but it seems like, right, what you just do is just like be cool and learn and right. to bring stuff to the table. Well, cool. Well, I'm excited to hear more about the show and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't know how much I'll be able to talk about, but... It's going to be super fun. Everyone's really great. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of the project. Cool. Um, and also, like I said, it's for a good number of weeks. So I'm kind of excited just to go into an office on the lot and like. Yeah, eat at the commissary. Eat at the commissary. And, you should and, meet up with Matt Barber. You know, he's Oh, is he the, on Warner? Yeah. Oh, I will. That's a good idea. That's great. Hey, man, that's why you guys have a way to have a podcast. That's kind of, yeah, that's why we have a podcast. To, to be reminded of that stuff. Cool. Um, well, Oren, tell me, what have you been working on lately? Um, well, I think I talked about this last episode, but I'm still working on my reel. And one thing I wanted to bring up is something that we've been disagreeing on a little bit. And I suspect that you're right. It's the dynamic of the show, man. <laughs> we but both I, agreed too I, much. That would be boring. Yeah. I just want to bring it up here because I, I bet other people that are cutting the reel have the same issue, which is, you know, we've talked about this on the show. I do VFX also. I'm, uh, I have like a technical background and I've done a lot of VFX work in the past and I enjoy doing the VFX shots on my own projects, um, especially like the smaller projects. Mm-hmm. And so in my reel... I mentioned that I've done a lot of VFX. It's probably about 25 seconds, maybe 30 seconds of my reel. Mm-hmm. Which you agree is too long. It's over long right oh, now. Yeah. My reel is too you're long? Lo- you're looking for places to trim. Uh, yeah, I only agree because I've gotten that note from sure. three different people. What's the runtime right now, though? It's five minutes. Yeah. But it's like... Three I, and a half, man. Yeah, I guess what I just did don't... What Maureen say? Barucha? Because her, her reel is like, like a minute and a half, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 90 seconds. Yeah. But she has a very, my reel is a different type of reel. It, that's true. And the, the style of my reel, most videos in that style are like six to 12 minutes. That's true. Um, yeah. So to me, that note of like cut one minute or 30 seconds or make it half as long is like, I, I never little, take that note yeah, yeah. literally. To me, that note is, it feels long. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how long it feels. So it's like, if you tell me cut two minutes out of it, to me, it, I don't care that you said two minutes. To me, it means like you felt like you thought it was about to end and it kept going t- like twice. Right. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's probably right. Because yeah. my pet peeve yeah. is like when someone's like, it has to be 180 seconds long, sure. you know? Yeah, sure. Because those like Tony Zoo video essays are like 15 minutes and they're amazing. And I could watch another 15 minutes of them. I think it's okay to talk about just the conceit of your reel is that it is like a video essay about director's reels. Yes. That's okay to talk about. Like, yeah. 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 I don't no, want to spoil sure, it. For sure. Um, maybe it'll be up by the time, you know, what would be interesting is if you post the version of the reel on the show notes that I'm criticizing. Right. Well, yeah, I, I'm would maybe do that. My, thing is i i and you're the transparent one man i know i agree with all your notes and i i agree with other things like and i agree with the length i agree there are moments that feel long so it's not like i think the reel is perfect mm-hmm. all i'm saying is that the it needs to be three minutes note is like a note i 
appreciate, but I interpret it in my own way. Which, I think you're right. I think because right. I worked, yeah. I've talked about this a lot, but I worked at Disney at this company called Take, department called Take 180, and they had a mandate that none of our videos are over 180 seconds, and I spent every day of my job fighting that because our <laughs> the shows we were making needed more than three minutes for an episode. We were doing these like awesome like teen dramas. So did you ever have a, like a great cut at 185 seconds? Yeah, we literally would have to cut five seconds. It wouldn't, and there's no, it wasn't like the player wouldn't work. It was, that was their thing. Nothing over 180 seconds. And yeah. it was so arbitrary. Like I hate arbitrary things. Like, it, I, I mean, look, there's like, we work in three acts or like the rule of mm-hmm. threes or like, um, you know, a movie shouldn't be over three hours, two sure. hours long. Or but those are guidelines yeah. that are well tested. And some of the best movies and shows and things that you see are sure. like, I just watched, I was watching a lot of video essays today and I watched uh, Michael's video essay about Arrival and why he liked it so much. Oh, and it's like, people love that movie because it broke this rule of the order of events, you know, that you expect. Mm-hmm. You're like, if I show you this shot and then this shot, you think that the first shot I show you happens before the second shot I show you. And that movie breaks that. Um, and so I think you're allowed to break sure those guidelines you just have to be entertaining to me it's like if you're if you're entertained then it doesn't matter if it's one minute or 10 minutes let me ask you then in the scenario where someone is not watching a video for pleasure right like it's not like they're at the office and they're gonna like fuck around on facebook for a second um and they're watching because it's their job to watch videos right which is right like a real like a real exactly so like i'm a rep of some sort and i need to review this person's reel and this is my job and i'm gonna watch six of them in all in a row i think that maybe there's a little bit more consideration towards the literal runtime versus whether it feels overlong or fatty or or brisk or not i guess i wouldn't mind if someone watched half the reel and said this there's something here let's put this guy on the list you know as a person who has watched reels, the, though, frankly, actually thinking about it now, like I've watched very a ton good of reels. I've, I watched a ton of reels, but like in the position of hiring someone, but not oh, right, you, right. you have as well, of course. But uh, and been like, nope, skip next because they felt fatty. Like people have lost jobs from me because they felt overlong. Oh, for sure. That's why it's not. That's why my reel isn't a montage of shots or sure. scenes or. Because my old comedy reel was like this open with this fun montage that I think people loved. And then it went to three scenes and it like slowed the reel down so much that I don't know if anyone made it past the first scene, you know. And so that's why I'm trying to like create this consistent rhythm and stuff to it. But um, but we've all watched a video and been like, right. But let's let's, you watch a video. You're like, I'm feeling a little crappy about this. And then you do you mouse over the timeline to see how to see how much longer it is. Yeah. And if you're like, oh, three more minutes. Well, that's why. But if you're like 30 more seconds, I'll stick it out. Well, that's why my favorite note that you gave is like, if you set up the premise of your reel in the beginning better, then I think people will go along on the ride with you more. And and I think, and I told you this in my email, I think the transitions are a little rough. You don't quite know when one section ends and one section begins. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I guess. I think you're you have a ton of really great footage 
and you are a very good editor. So that stuff didn't bother me as much. I know that you're going to finesse things and they'll, they'll be even better. But to me, anytime I'm noting any of your stuff, it's only about the macro and the micro like isn't even worth bringing up because I know you're right, so perfectionist. But, but I think you're like, going to get through it. So I used to do these like recruit when I was an engineer, I would go to colleges and recruit engineers to come maybe work at my, the company I worked at. And I would do these PowerPoint presentations. And the single biggest thing that made my presentations better as I went along was the first slide that was like the table of contents slide. It was like, this, sure. this is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Here's my reel. I'm going to show you features, commercials, and did, and series, okay? Sure. And then you know, okay, now we're watching features. Now we're watching commercial. Now yeah. we're watching series. Here's a summary, and we're done. And I think I haven't quite cracked that code of like telling you what you're watching, where you yeah, are in yeah. the reel, and all that stuff, because the, the structure is a little There's an old mushy. saying in marketing that says, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. <laughs> tell them what you told them. That's that's a really good saying. It's pretty good. I can't believe you've never uh, Boy. said that on the podcast before. It's probably yeah. the best <laughs> nugget of info I've gotten. Hey, from. I saved it for 100. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, kind of backing up a tiny bit, I think, um, yeah, we agree. Like one runtime, all that stuff, it's all amorphous, right? Right. Like little Dicky saved that money. Tony told us like everyone said it was way too long. It's like eight yeah. minutes or something. Yeah. And it's like, I could watch the first three minutes and I'd be like, wow, this is a genius music video. I'm going to stop watching it now because I have to go, but I get it and I know that Mm -hmm. there is something here. And that, I guess that's like what I'm going for is someone saying like, okay, I'm only going to watch the first two minutes and then them accidentally watching all five minutes. But what I would never want is someone planning on watching the whole thing and stopping halfway through because they're like, I don't really know where this is going. So I think your note is right. And the other two people that gave me notes agreed gave different versions of that same mm-hmm. note but the way i'm going to implement it i think is is my own way that said what i was going to bring up about the reel is that i mentioned the the my visual effects mm-hmm. um i probably right. spend like 20 seconds on it or something and you feel very much that i should not mention that i do my own vfx because it makes me less of a director and more of a director slash vfx sure. artist so uh, we talked about uh, off mic about this, and I think that I really kind of finally realized what it is I was trying to say about that. Because j- just to clarify, there's a bit where you're talking about like, uh, and also I do my own VFX, and like you show some awesome VFX shots, and they all look great, and then you move into the the rest of it. And it's not that those shots aren't awesome, or that it's not awesome that you made VF though, did those VFX shots yourself. But I think what it boils down to is that a director's reel in the most basic form is saying, I know how to manage people to do great things. So whether that's a celebrity or a cinematographer or a VFX artist or or a comedy writer, whatever the version, whatever your flavor is, you're saying, I know how to bring the best people out or the best out of people. And that is a different job description than literally doing it yourself in the same way that, you know, maybe the best American director alive right now, P.T. Anderson, can shoot his own movie. He's not like, and also I, you save a little bit of money or isn't it cool that I'm my own cinematographer? You just can't compare like me to P.T. Anderson. He's famous 
Sure. Um, first but, of all, and he's people know his movies, and yeah, Steve Soderbergh. I mean, pe- sure, I, I do but think, I, but I am right. So, <laughs> to, you know, my point being, like, not to get too far off on the tangent, is is the point is is that you are great at directing people to do great visual effects, but there's a difference between telling someone how to do something and literally doing it yourself. And does you being able to do VFX yourself is awesome and makes you a better communicator to people, but that is not in the job description. Right. But I guess I think, and I, I don't know, I, I, I still suspect I'm totally wrong about this, but my argument yeah. is that most you, of the time I'm like at least 50% wrong this time I'm right. <laughs> but you don't do VFX. Sure. You? Um, yeah. And so you've never gotten a job because you're a director that can do your own VFX. I have never, I no, that's not true. I have, I have never, well, I'll, I have never gotten a job because I can do my own VFX, but I have gotten plenty of jobs because I can direct VFX for sure. Okay. And that's, that's really what I'm saying. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is like, yes, like that the Paul Thomas Anderson example is like, he's making like these $40 million films. Ignore that one. Yeah. Okay. But if funnier dies, like, Oh, we want to do this video, but it's got like all these people flying in it. And like, how are we going to pull that off? It's probably impossible. If someone's like, well, this guy can maybe direct it and like figure out how to, I'm saying the, the VFX, the difference between, I know this guy, Oren, who's great. He's a great VFX director. And I know this guy, Oren, he'll do some of the VFX shots. Those are two different jobs in yeah. in the eye of a producer, right? And you only want the former, not the latter, even though you've done and happily will do VFX shots yourself all the time, myself included. You know, there are plenty of jobs. Like I'm not a 3D guy like you, I have, but I do have an animation background. I have done plenty of VFX shots myself because... You know, when the going gets tough, you want your show to be better. I'll do that stuff, no problem. You know, and I'll spend a couple days on like VFX tutorials or ask you how to do it or whatever. It's not that. Let me ask you this: like, you know how to like rig lighting, right? Would you put that on your reel? No. But when the going gets tough and you realize, like, oh fuck, we're not gonna make our day unless I hang that light. Like you I do have it. stuff on my reel that I shot myself and exactly. I don't mention that I shot exactly. it. But that is exactly my point. So I'm saying show that you were a great VFX director. Well, let me ask you. Don't talk about how you literally did the VFX. Right. Well, let me ask you this. If you have st- if you had a reel that was the, in my style of reel where it's mm-hmm. kind of narrated by you mm-hmm. and you were, it's a director's reel, would you mention if you ever wrote any of the stuff? No. You no. You would never say like this was written yeah, no. by me. No. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. And I say Madden the writer director. Right. Hmm. I guess because rigging lights to me is not something great that I bring let me, of value. Let you me know? think about that. I can tell you if like a light is like placed in a weird place and that it would bother me like why do we have a light there yeah you would tell someone tell a dp you would tell someone how to move a light you tell dps how to do their job more than they like it for sure (laughs) oh i'm sure but i think i'm usually right about it you are a director that i know 
for a fact tells people how to do their jobs all the time and they hate it yes but so i don't understand why vfx is the one job where you're like i'm gonna stick my nose where it doesn't belong because people advertising it think that vfx is really hard or they it it plays so directly into the budget in a way that people don't understand like i'll be on a call where someone will Mm -hmm. be like oh you know we were gonna do this in vfx but it's way too expensive and i know that it's like not expensive at all you know um so i i don't know i i think you're probably right and i probably will i'm probably going to rephrase that in a way where it's like you know having a background in vfx like i can yeah do you know i can work i'm super comfortable i yeah i'll say something about it yeah yeah so so just to clarify there's a 25 seconds or so of orange reel where he talks about the vfx shots in his reel and i guess and by the way what i say during that section is like should you should the multi-hyphenate director uh include some of their own vfx work in their directing reel and then i say no this is a directing reel sure (laughs) it's best to leave that out yeah and i still think you should cut it up right so i'm like (laughs) self-aware but (laughs) but yes but your point is like you need to cut something out and that should be what you cut out (laughs) i think also if we're talking about reels or your website or even the way you pitch yourself in an email just to broaden it out to everyone there is anxiety about the jobs you get versus the jobs you want right right and so i guess what i'm doing is i'm trying to encourage you to aim for the jobs you want not for the jobs that you get yeah i you know to some degree i guess i'll brad payton Yes. Previous guest of the show, director of Rampage, is a great VFX director. He is not doing the VFX. Yeah, he's working on like $150 million. Sure, 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 sure. But don't you want to? Yes. But I don't think that... You're not going to get that, that Rampage 2 gonna, off of this reel. Yeah. No, but, but the baby steps in between Rampage 2 and your current work, you know... Well, I do think part of why Brad got all those jobs, why he got Cats and Dogs too, is because he did a lot of his own storyboarding and animating and he showed that he was like this visual, creative visual person um, and was not afraid to like get dirty. Sure. Yeah, uh, 100%. I think that... It's I mean, a, this kind of goes back to the, my, the entire premise of my video, which is that directors probably shouldn't have reels. <laughs> I guess because having it, because been on the other side a little bit, There is a weird and frustrating mentality that I have been a part of um, where there's a huge difference between a director being like, I edit my own videos or I did the sound design on this or whatever that somehow diminishes their value in a weird way. Unless the sound design or the editing is like amazing. Even still, I think something about them doing it themselves instead of guiding someone in some executives heads. And I don't know if that's true for all of them, but I feel like in the rooms that I've been in, it's like there's something a little bit diminutive about having done it yourself. But if another executive is like, Oh man, Oren is the best. Can you believe he did that shot himself? Times were so, so hard. He's so (laughs) talented. He's so skilled. That he rolled up his sleeves and he hung the light and then he shot that in his garage. Well, I don't... Then it's cool. It's I, right. I don't know how to explain 
the social factors that are happening that are part of that. But there's, there's a difference between you bragging about doing it all yourself and someone else bragging about you knowing how to do it all yourself and being so hardcore that you did it when the time got tough. Right. I mean, I guess so there was this movie, the witch I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's incredible. Sure. It is. You, it's based on a short film. Is it based uh, on a short? That the know. same writer director made, you know, he made the short and then he made the feature and supposedly his name is Robert Eggers. We talked about mm-hmm. this sure. movie on the podcast before and supposedly he himself for the short made all the props and everything sure. himself. Yeah. He came from production design. That's and true. that to me was like super impressive and it like made me almost a little jealous of him. Like, Oh, what if or it almost made me go like, Oh, I should make all my own props. And then this other director I know, Ian Pfaff, who had this like amazing reel. Mm-hmm. It was all about these various, like he loves to build things and create things and like, and that reel got him like a ton of heat in Hollywood when he made it. I mean, it was like in 2010 sure. or something. But um, there is, if there's an X factor to things where it's like, if you were like, yeah, I did all my own VFX, but they were the most insane, distinctive <laughs> VFX we've right. ever seen in our lives. Where it's like, oh, you know, these VFX were all made out of claymation and like your toenail clippings. That would be incredible. Um, and you should maybe add the toenail clippings part back into your reel. I know right. I told you to cut that before, but I'm backpedaling. I literally cut the toenails. Waka waka. Um, but if they're kind of more conventional or right. meant like to a be Gareth invisible, Edwards type mm-hmm. of visual effect or West Ball. Yeah. Look, and I could be wrong. Look, every person is going to be different. But to me, I guess all I'm saying really is like, I want you to be auditioning for the job you want you don't want to be doing jobs where you need to be the vfx artist yeah that's all that, that's really what it boils down to right and i appreciate that <laughs> um if you guys have any opinions on that please uh yeah. let us know and what, do, you, do you think you'll be able to can you post a rough draft yeah i can definitely i'll definitely post like by the time this episode comes out which should be in like a week or yeah, but it's going to change. I think the right. link that you sent me, maybe can you make it like a totally, it's not password protected, but there's a private link on Vimeo yeah. where it's like only apparent if it's embedded on something. So yeah. we'll put that in the show notes if you guys want to watch it. Right. It's a very we'll either, good reel. We'll either put that or a note that says, Orin has preferred to not <laughs> include his, <laughs> a, a rough draft of his reel. As a thank you gift. For listening for 100 episodes, Oren promises to put this reel on the website. Yeah, if you can name all of our guests <laughs> off the top by of my heart. Head. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, well anyway, I feel yeah, bad because yeah. it's almost 40 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> no way, really. And we're still doing our catch up. All right. Well, um, reels, you guys. We love talking about them. Thanks yeah. for sticking sticking it out. We should do a panel on directors' reels. I think for me personally, <laughs> <laughs> I think we we have a plan to another panel, but. We're going to show it to us a couple. Of- oh, yeah. So people that tuned in to hear us talking about our favorite tidbits from the show, thank you for sitting through that. Uh, we are going to get into them as soon as we hear from our friend Cameron Woodward at Film Casualty. We sat down with our friend Cameron from Film Casualty to talk a little bit more about the ins and outs of insurance and how the fine folks at Film Casualty could help us out. So Cameron, I checked out your website and there's this thing called Inland Marine Insurance. What is that? Is that water related in some way? Can you tell me why I would need that? Well, you asked a great question that is directly related to why we started Film Casualty. 
When I was looking into insurance for my production company, I was so confused by all of the terms and how they could possibly relate to filmmaking. Inland Marine, it just means that it, you have insurance protection for your property when it's away from your location. So say that you own a couple thousand dollars in lenses, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in lenses. With Inland Marine Insurance, you can cover that gear anywhere in the world that you take it. The term is one of the oldest terms in insurance, if I remember correctly, and it had to do with cargo. So like if you were a farmer shipping your grain or your wheat over land or over sea, it was either marine or inland marine, you know, shipping it. And so this was a way to protect against a ship sinking or a train derailing and destroying all of your precious crops before they could be taken to market. And so when we use it in the filmmaking business or in the property business, it refers to protecting individual items. We are specifically calling out individual pieces of property that a producer or a filmmaker owns, and we're protecting it wherever it is in the world. So it does work in water as well. <laughs> I don't want to speak to any exclusions that any carrier may or may not have. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Good in the Inland Empire and elsewhere, though. <laughs> All right. For more information about how to protect your film business, gear, project, and crew, go to filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. That's filmcasualty.com slash just shoot it. Insurance for every kind of filmmaker. Hey, thanks, Cameron. Another good little piece of advice. Thanks, Film Casualty, for sponsoring the show. We appreciate it. So before we get into our favorite moments, we're going to read some three new iTunes reviews we got real quick. Hey, thanks, everyone. Yeah, first one, five out of five stars. Holy cow. Oh, thanks. Um, awesome podcast for new filmmakers from Tyler1617. I'm assuming he is uh, 401 years old. Um <laughs> Fantastic podcast for anyone just starting out making web videos or people who are already making some money and trying to figure out how to reach the next stage in their career. I will say the two bullet holes on the podcast's cover do kind of make it look like it's about guns. Fear not. This is not a podcast about guns. They cover not just the technical side of the craft, but also the personal. How to pitch, how to make good impressions, and represent yourself well, etc. It's all super valuable stuff that's making me wish I could get back all that money I spent on film school. Burn to Matt, not burn to Oren. Yeah, I'm still paying for it. Hey, thanks for that, Tyler. Good point about the bullet holes. It is a pun, but I guess maybe if you're... Obviously, you know that, but um, if you're listening to this, you know that, that at this point. But I wonder how many listeners we've lost because people are like, ooh. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, there was a big tragedy this last week with guns. And I was on Facebook yesterday, and it is... I mean, it's like 100% about guns. And so... yeah. Hopefully the cover of our podcast does not issue an opinion about guns at all because we are staying yeah. out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, really sad stuff. Anyway, uh, next review is from Pimply Wimp. Hey, Pimply Wimp. He says, inspirational, insightful, and invaluable. In episode 72, Matt and Oren asked for a bad review because they had become so accustomed to getting good reviews. Sorry, guys, I simply cannot take your direction here, which makes us bad directors at the very least. <laughs> Disclaimer, I've binge listened to every episode and I went to their first live show, so I know what I'm talking about. The podcast is rich in information and a great resource for anyone who is interested in, in or already part of the film industry. These guys are building a community with their listeners and guests, so come be a part of it. Most importantly, remember that idea of being ricocheted off the wall in the confines of your mind? This podcast will help encourage you to videotape it. Just videotape it. Hey, hey, thanks, that's a Pimply Wimp. <laughs> Way better name for our podcast. 
just videotape it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just put it on yeah. a laser disc. A laser, laser disc, SD card. All that our, stuff. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Pimply up. And our final review from Joey family, F A M E L I. It's a cool name. Part of the family family, you know? Yeah. Um, he says a must for any director slash filmmaker aspiring or pro. Joey Family says, about a year back, a friend recommended just shoot it to me, and since then, I've been hooked. I usually listen to a lot of craft-specific podcasts, script notes, ASC, Q&A, that focus on higher-end mainstream cinema. And while those are great, I was really searching for something that I could relate to on a ground level. Filmmaking is a career, a hobby, an adventure, and a passion. Warren and Matt are great at painting a picture of what it's like to be a working director and are then able to pull advice and lessons from that experience for the listener. The guests they get on are great, and the unpaid endorsements make for a good deeper dive into what makes creatives tick. Hey, thanks, Joey man. Joey Family. Joey Family. Welcome to the family. Yes, and it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's good. 100 episodes, people realize that we... Uh, are not doing higher end mainstream cinema, <laughs> but rather uh, lower end, lower end, yeah, niche work. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But thanks, Joey. Um, well, cool. Uh, we love reviews. Obviously, sure. we will yep. read them on here. If you would like to hear your name on the podcast, uh, I, I can't endorse it enough. It, it really is a rush. Okay, really is a rush. You got to do it, man. I guess they don't really. There's not many places that are guaranteed, but it is a weird, weird high. Anyway, Um, I'm sure I can find a podcast that will do it. Okay. So listen, Matt, I have 15 tidbits that of things that I've learned from past guests. I mean, so look, we've learned a ton. All our guests are great. We really appreciate all of them. But um, reviewing all the guests we had today, uh, there were 15 people who jumped out at me as having something that I'm still thinking about mm-hmm. every time I direct anything or when I'm working. So you're saying 85 guests were garbage, complete and utter garbage. Well, we haven't had a hundred guests, <laughs> um, but no, just so, kidding you guys. So, uh, I'm just going to go through them one yeah, at a time. Yeah. And if you have a comment, then you make it. Otherwise I'm going to go on to the next one. Let's do it. And we're going in order. So our very Ooh. first guest was Avi Rothman. Uh, I got nothing from him. Um, just kidding, Avi. He doesn't listen to the show. He does not listen, so it's okay. So we had Tim Nakashi on. He said... He actually, what number was that? I don't have the numbers, but I think it was in the, Early. in the first 10. Yeah. He said when he's writing a treatment, he likes to just watch a million YouTube videos and fill his brain up with inspiration. And as soon as he feels like he's tapped out, he's seen too much stuff, he just starts writing and his brain kind of does the work for him. And so that's, I, that's I love that. Yeah. yeah. And I do that. Next, I have Eric Kissack. He said this thing, it's really simple, but I just, sometimes it's just nice to hear other directors say the things you're thinking. And he's the one that told us that like casting is really intimidating. <laughs> um, oh, that's That funny. when you are casting actors, especially for commercial, that you feel like you're being auditioned as well mm-hmm. as the director. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That feeling, I don't know if that ever goes away. <laughs> Yeah, uh, probably because it's um, founded in a genuine reality. Like that's utterly true. The more the more I work, the more I understand that in a commercial environment specifically, you are being judged quite directly because that's the first time the client is around you and watches you work in any way. So yeah. like their jobs are on the line. So of course they're going to be like, hmm, did we hire the right guy? We'll see. Right, and that's where they see if you get 
A, working with actors. B, the tone of the spot. C, how much you care about their opinions. D, how much you can like feel the room. Yeah. There's like a lot of things you can get from watching someone audition someone else. And I think B through D are way more important to them than A. A being how you work with actors. But like right. if you get it and if you understand, if you're going to work well with them, those are way more important to them. But if you're like a jerk to the actors, a lot of clients don't care, but someone might be like, oh, this guy's like not very nice, you know, or gal. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that was an interesting insight. Next, I have Tony Ascenda. Uh, he didn't really give us this advice, but just seeing how he created American Vandal, he made it seem so easy. And I guess I loved the idea that he was a fan of something, mm-hmm. had his own take on it, mentioned it to a friend that night wrote a treatment the next day and pitched it, you know, like a week later. That's how you do it. Um, And it kind of, it's like, you don't have to have like a show Bible and a pilot script and all this stuff like already, you know, worked out. You just have to like have passion and be inspired and be able to talk about something like ad nauseum. And that might be enough to create a show. Yeah. And tell people about it. Eventually he did have to have all of that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. But, um, you know, sometimes you feel like you can't get going unless you've created all this stuff and then you never do it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, and he yeah. just did it. And I, I like that. Way to go, Tony. Next, we have Melissa Hunter. Yep. On the first time she was on her podcast, she talked to us about the shows she pitched. And I just like loved how she channeled her life experiences into mm-hmm. pitches in such like a simple way. So she had told us the story that when she was in high school, everyone told her she looked like Wednesday Adams and she always got really upset about that. But then she made a web series about it called adult Wednesday Adams. That was like a smash hit. And she like fell in love with this character. It was like, she turned a bad thing into a good thing. Yeah. Melissa has a way, especially in that episode, but kind of just in general of, um, distilling, a character down to something that feels so truthful and obvious that you feel stupid for having not realized it yourself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then she told us about like some other, some guys that weren't like kind of mean to her on the street, random people and how that birthed this awesome show about like a, yeah. you know, a woman that seeks revenge. Um, I, do we, her show backseat bitches on above average is now a TV show, right? TBS, right? Yeah. Did is that in the episode or did we just talk to her about that? Yeah, she no. Well, she mentioned it on both episodes we had her on the live show and her and original the show. episode. But again, that's another example of yeah. just like her friend was like, "I'm waiting for the Uber bitch," and that was all she needed for the yeah. idea. And to, now it's a TV show. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we should all be that attuned to what's fun and funny about our lives. Yeah. So. Well done. Then we had Matt Barber on. He said, you know, just make an effort to get to know your actors. He had directed like uh, The 100 and iZombie and Chuck and all these TV shows. And he said that it's shocking how few episodic directors like call the actors and say like, hey, I just wanted to say hello <laughs> before we shoot tomorrow. <laughs> because Yeah, that does feel obvious, but... Yeah. yeah. But, you know, obviously we do it on stuff that we're directing every episode of the show. But when you're you're the guest director... Um, it's, it's equally worth the effort. Um, he also had the little tidbit of like, have like drink some scotch when you're reading a script. Um, yeah, that's pretty good, which I liked. <laughs> um, are you going to do uh Tim Wilkheim? Is that one of your list? 
Uh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, good. Oh, uh, did I skip over somebody? No, no, no. He was actually next. Oh, good. What's your What's your Tim? So my Tim Wilkheim story, which, well, first of all, it's just an inspiration that he changed his last name to uh, mash it up with his wife's last name. Yeah. His name was Tim Wilkerson when we had him on the podcast. Yeah. So now it's Wilkheim. Um, but I just loved, do you want to go first? No, no, no. Go for okay. it. I guess. So he, you know, had this dream to direct the Kentucky fried chicken commercial and he basically brought all his friends on an adventure with him in real time to do it. And I just loved how he used his, his own ambitions to fuel his creativity. It's a little bit of what I'm trying to do with my reel right now, which is just yeah. be like, like if you've got nothing else to say, just talk about how you have nothing else to say, you know? I think to me, just doubling down on that, I am so pleased and tickled and in awe of his commitment to a overtly stupid joke. Like, I really love when someone is like, what if you take something so simple and dumb that it becomes transcendent? Mm -hmm. And like, he commits to it so hard. He travels across the country. He spends thousands of dollars. He makes himself kind of look silly on national TV and then cuts that in and live streams it all. And then also turns that into a short film and sends it all over the country. It's, it's like so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's like so, awesome. so good, but it's like, I guess I'm getting a lot of the same things from a lot of people, but like what the same thing as Melissa, you know, he just took this feeling he had and he turned it into a show. Um, and you know, a lot of times like you'll sit at a coffee shop and you'll be like, okay, I need a good sci-fi premise. Cause I want to write a black mirror spec or something. <laughs> and you're like, what can I think of it? But it's not about that. It's like finding the inspiration without trying too hard. You know? I think he wrote the joke and then after he had tweeted it out was like, wait, maybe I do mean this. <laughs> right. I don't think it like it, it was, he was a step behind himself even. Right. But it worked because so he was, it was endearing and he was, even though it was a joke, there was truth behind it. You yeah, know? sure. Okay, next, one of our favorite guests that I still <laughs> talk about on almost every episode is Abby Fuller. She directed a million things, but Chef's Table is the thing we bring up the most. She's a documentary director. When you wanted to have her on, I was like, eh, documentary directors, that's going to be boring. And uh, Would you say it's your favorite episode? It I may be. I think it was. Based on number of references, it absolutely is. I think it was the one that like my opinion of the interview changed. It was like the most <laughs> improved or something. I don't know. I just really loved it. And so one of the things that she told us is that she structures an episode of like chef's table, for instance, like the hero's journey or like a superhero movie. So if they're doing a, an episode on a chef, it's like, what's, what was the moment when that person was bit by the spider to become the spider man of chefs. Sure. Right. Um, and I just like, loved that idea to and I, it's probably like documentary making 101 but to me it was like oh damn documentary making is just the same storytelling you it know? is striking how much of it is conceived in pre-production like right. like what the people are doing and what they're wearing and how it's lit and all of that stuff is much more narrative than I think we were prepared for. Right. Especially for TV when you're on a schedule. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. like the guys from the Delt documentary told us, it's like, 
being open to change like Mm -hmm. like be always be open for something better now have a plan but then be open to change that plan like on a dime i should make a a documentary thumbnail for people to like listen to all of our documentary pieces why don't you talk quieter and get even farther away from the mic (laughs) i was being introspective Oren. (laughs) sorry you're like off-axis and like a mile away. All right, all right. Next up, what do you got? Next up, I have... Well, sorry, I, I'm not done with Abby Fuller yet. <laughs> sorry, just two Shout totally out. different tidbits I got from her. The second one, which I still struggle with every day, again, yeah, going back one. to my reel, is if you tell people you do everything, they'll hire you for nothing. I think it's what she said. So tell people what you want to do, and they'll hire you to do that. I, I mean, I think that probably is the single best nugget of advice uh, of the show right which i still struggle with because i like everything and i do a lot of stuff that's literally what we were just talking about for <laughs> 40 minutes yes i know yeah um, well, abby is busy otherwise i'd get her on the phone and tell her i know she'd tell you Orin, are you a vfx artist or are you a director yeah next i have Jarrett lee conway he this is again a thing that we know so much and we've seen a million video essays about but he just talked about the importance of an opening shot and it's something that i keep forgetting every time i direct anything (laughs) i've got two Jarrett conway stories one my very favorite thing about Jarrett, and i think we talk about this on the podcast is that Jarrett is unabashed about being ready like if (laughs) if somebody was like hey Jarrett, do you want to do avengers 3 or whatever He'd be like, yep, I'm starting tomorrow. I'm starting right now. <laughs> like literally he would be in it, ready to go immediate. And he's like, the, he knows what he wants to do. He's down to do it. It's happening. Uh, yes. The train is already moving. You didn't even know that you bought a ticket to, the, to Jeremy <laughs> Conway Express. He has some confidence for sure. Um, I love it. I love it. But not just confidence, but also like uh, that great combination of com- confidence, eagerness, ambition, and prep. That yeah. makes him perfect to just jump into whatever you need. Right. Well, when he talks about filmmaking, you know he's thought a lot about it. Yeah, you can back it everything up. Um, and then the other thing, little side note, I saw on Twitter the other day, he you know, he and Ryan Coogler went to school together, and Coogler uh, was talking about Black Panther in, at the Arclight, just kind of impromptu of like shouting people out and like doing a little... Q&A, Black Panther just opened this weekend, and he shouted out Jarrett Lee Conway for introducing him to Black Panther. Oh, cool. That's cool. Super cool, right? Yeah. Thanks, Jarrett. Indirectly giving us that movie. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jarrett. Next, we have Anna Akana. She, I don't remember if she talked about this on the podcast, but it's definitely something she had told me before, and it's like a thing she's known for, is that she schedules her days in 15-minute increments. <laughs> And it's like insane, but I've tried to kind of start doing that. And it, it works when I do it. And when I don't do it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so uh, I think that that was cool. Yeah. So next up, we've got Jim Cummings. Uh, Jim talks about how he was really inspired by Kresha, which is a movie that he produced. But basically people, you know, he says they made it in their backyard um, and that you can make important, powerful, meanings, meaningful cinema on a skeleton crew and a skeleton budget. And that's a, that's a philosophy and an ethos and a movement that he's trying to live every day. And, uh, he's made quite a bit since we last spoke to him. So, um, it's working for Jim and, uh, it's an inspiration and super fun. We should have him on the show again. Cool. He did a show right after Thunder Road. 
so he did a feature version of Thunder Road, and then I think an FX show, and definitely a full screen show that also played Sundance. He's got a lot, he's got a lot of stuff going on, and you know uh, whether people are paying for it or not, he's just kind of plowing through and making it happen. He Jim is just shooting it straight. Yeah. Up. Um. Yeah. Well. So next we have Oren Brimmer. He just has like a really cool name. Um. No. He said this thing that Matt and I both loved and we swore we would do, <laughs> and I have yet to do it. <laughs> but it's like do the crazy take first. Yeah. Like when you're doing comedy, have them just do like a crazy take right up, up off the top. We haven't had Tony on since American Vandal, but he and I texted a little bit about that, and that's what he did for Vandal. Oh, really? Yeah, because of that episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I guess we should get paid on American Vandal. Yeah, or, Tony, if you're listening. <laughs> or Orrin Brimmer's going to get an episode. Oh, yeah, Orrin Brimmer gets an episode. Orrin Brimmer's been directing episodes of the second season of Crashing. Oh, is he is, directing on them? Yeah, I know oh, he did great. at least one episode awesome. based on That's an Instagram excellent. photo I saw, great. but I think he did more. Great, great, great. Yeah, I need to watch that show. I love, I love the first season, so way to go, Orrin. Yeah, and another piece of advice that we got, and I have tried to incorporate but failed was from yulene yulene kwang she just like loves using wallpaper (laughs) wallpaper is awesome and like on my i just did that shoot in houston i was like told the production designer i was like "Eh, that wall's kind of plain what if we put wallpaper on it and he's like sure no problem and then uh he's like by the way i just did a scout with the uh clients and they hate the wallpaper idea so we're not gonna do it (laughs) it's like you know what though i think uh you can use the wallpaper as a um not as a less literal way of thinking of things of like, Oh, you can just put something behind. You can add, you can inject color into a shot a lot of different ways that don't have to spend, that don't cost a ton of money. Right. But I guess in my mind, like shooting against the wall is like the worst thing you can possibly do. Yeah. But you lean pulls it off in like such a great way. And it's because of wallpaper and it's like affected me so much that my friends just bought a new house and I was looking at pictures of it and I saw their bathroom and it had this awesome wallpaper. I was like, oh man, this wall is awesome. And they're Ooh, like, oh, can I shoot in here? We hated it. Like, we're actually going to change that. Why would you like that? I was like, I don't know. I just like hate white walls. The whole rest of the house is like white walls <laughs> for this wallpaper thing. I guess it just makes any, any wall interesting, an especially accent, in a commercial. An accent wall is something special for sure. Um, yeah. So the next one, Matt Wyatt. Uh, Matt had a really great little piece of insight where he talked about how every significant change or piece of progress in his career was based off of a calculated risk that like he never, he had a, he had a great career in every step of the way, but the jumps up were always because he made a big risk. And, um, that's been true for me as well. And I thought it was really well articulated in that episode. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Like you do have to make some jumps in order to move up in the world. Yeah. God, I got to risk more stuff. I've not been risking anything lately. It's easy not to, especially like when you're happy, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm definitely not happy, so that's <laughs> not my problem. <laughs> um, so Bill Watterson, who directed Dave Made a Maze, uh, well, the cool thing about that is you just saw it at a film festival and then, you know, we got him on the show. That was a delight. Which is how fun. Uh, it's cool when we are, be, one of us is like a fan of something and we, you know, have them on the show. So that's cool. Um, but Bill introduced us to the idea of the cardboard engineer. He had yeah. all these scientists help him build the sets and I am working on a paper related show right now. And so I'm going to tap him for his 
paper scientists once we get <laughs> closer to production. I think also just in a broader sense, acknowledging that there, for whatever crazy idea you have, there's another person out there who's an expert and who would love to help you on their movie, on your movie. <laughs> right. You know, like that's insane that he had multiple people who were the world's best engineers with cardboard and they came and worked for peanuts because it was a fun, cool idea. Right. But it was packing peanuts. <laughs> Foam peanuts. Uh, pun intended. Um, cool. So next we have uh, Kate Grady. Um, the biggest tidbit I got from her is don't pitch stories about Uber drivers because it's already been done a bazillion times. Uh, not that it's been done, but it's been pitched so many times. Next I have Jacob Perlin, my manager. I just thought it was interesting that none of his clients came through blind submissions. It just kind of reinforced the, it's all about who you know. And I know we've forwarded a bunch of um, our listeners' submissions to him. I don't know. We don't know what happens once we forward them. So uh, either he got back to people or he didn't. I have no idea. But uh, I don't know. I, I learned a lot from, you know, having him on the show. And I, I thought that was one of the interesting things. Next, I have Jordan Morris. He said to us, dance with the gal you brought to the dance mm -hmm. or some version of that dance with the gal who brung you oh yeah he's maybe what he said yeah maybe it's basically like i mean you know just reiterating what we always say which is that <laughs> the client is hiring you when you get paid to direct you should really care about what the person you paying you for a specific job yeah. yeah and just just that it's remind everyone that it's a collaborative thing it's not just about your vision all the time uh, so Morgan Dameron was on the show. She had her movie, Different Flowers, that had just come out. Now it's out on VOD and all that stuff. I think you can watch it wherever you want. You know, Morgan, I think, was really inspiring because she saw what she wanted and went out and got it. Morgan realized she wanted to make a movie, wrote it, cast it, fundraised for it, shot it, distributed it, got it in movie theaters because that was important to her, and then got a distribution deal faster than most people even spend thinking about it. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Next we have Brad Payton. Uh, I thought what, like when I learned from him, I learned a lot of things, but that my big takeaways was that even like on a hundred million dollar blockbuster, you can say, Hey, I want to direct every shot. Like I don't want a second unit or a third unit. I just yeah. thought that that was something they, the studio tells you you have to do. Um, and the other thing that I thought was cool is like, he got his first movie by walking into a producer's office and saying, if you ever want to make a sequel to that, call me, I want to direct it. Yeah. Um, it goes a little bit hand in hand with what Abby said and what you're saying, which is like Abby told everyone she wants to direct food related stuff. And then she got chef's table. He basically invented projects that he wanted to direct and told people about it. And when one of those projects came to fruition, they called him, even though he had never directed a movie before. Um, next, I have Carlin Hudson. I don't know if you remember the first story she told us, but that she had like interviewed kids from her family to make this little mm -hmm. documentary about like <laughs> sexual, like what they thought sex was or something. I forget exactly what it was. Something but, along those lines. Uh, I just love so the resourcefulness of just like, again, if you, it's kind of like the anti writer's block, like just talk to your family and interview them and edit them together into something. And it might be interesting to other people. And if it's not just move on to the next thing, but I just love that idea of like, just looking at what you have, who you're around, mm -hmm. and just building something out of that. Finding what's funny about it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. On, on that same note of being resourceful and smart, uh, Mercedes Bryce Morgan, we had on not that long ago, and 
I feel like it was such a no duh moment, but like shooting action sequences in rehearsal with your iPhone is like such an obvious thing that like, I don't know why I didn't think to, I, I take photos. I do photo storyboards with my iPhone all the time. Why wouldn't I shoot them also? So dumb. <laughs> Dude, this is verbatim what I wrote in my document. Rehearse and shoot action scenes with your cell phone. <laughs> it's like, no, duh. It's yeah. so much better. And also Mercedes, having worked with her before, uh, is the best example of a person who's not even thinking about or suffering fools at all. Like while I'm busy, like complaining to someone about something, she's already solved it, moved on and is shooting the next scene before right. I even Well, you are really good at complaining. I'm so good. Guys, at hire Matt to direct something. <laughs> how um, can i work like this and mercedes already has the next scene my other thing that i got from her which i actually did was she said she always like asks for her own wireless monitor um and i know a lot of people do but i don't know for some reason when she said it i was like why am i not doing this and then i did it on the houston job which i talked about it's on the better. podcast yeah it's better also it saves people money i think people don't realize that but a wireless monitor depending on the scale of the project but like you're going to end up with a second AC who's uh, got too much work to do because they don't, they'll never hire an additional person. And then all of a sudden they're wrangling cords instead of flopping lenses or offloading cards or whatever. And it will slow things down and will cost your entire show money and time. Whereas if it's wireless, they're not worried about it. Yeah. Except for when you, the director constantly loses it. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to get it with the C stand mount so you can carry the C stand with you and oh, then, yeah. and then flop it on. Like then you have a home for it yeah. and then you get the fish pole drink holder, you oh, clamp man. it to that C stand. It's dope. Or like you can get like a giant, like old, like brick type cell phone holder, <laughs> yeah, you know, you like go, the yeah. old cellular phones and then just put the monitor in that. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but my wife got me, um, those director's chair bags. Have you seen those? Oh yeah. She got me one for Christmas and I'm very excited to use it. That's cool. I'm hoping that maybe that will keep my shit a little bit more organized as a result. Yeah, I'm sure it might. <laughs> um cool well we had a lot of other amazing guests everyone had really good insightful stuff but those were the ones that uh i'm still kind of thinking about their advice today i'm sure tomorrow it'll be different ones i will say i listened to the new year's show when we were going to record the live show i was started listening to the one with Jarrett and uh liz and matt and it was a delight it's rare that you get to like listen to a recorded conversation about a topic you love with a bunch of your friends. Mm -hmm. That is like a weird special thing. So um, yeah. thanks everyone for listening so that we have an excuse to do this. I even listened to, I listened to the chicks who script one. Oh, how was and it? And I was like, it's by far our worst audio quality episode because we, the way we recorded it was there was like a mic on the table and we all just kind of yelled into it. Um, <laughs> Well, Matt, we have uh, obviously gleaned a lot of awesome advice from doing this show. I think How it's, lucky been, are we? it's been cool. But we still have one segment left for the show. A favorite of uh, just a few of our listeners. <laughs> Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Yeah, I'll go first. So for this very special episode, uh, I did something, which is I went back through all of our previous unpaid endorsements and I <laughs> wanted to see if there are any that I 
still stand Which you by. still use? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I told you off the mic, I every single one where I was like, oh, yeah, that's an excellent endorsement that I still do today. I, I realized it was like an endorsement that I made myself. <laughs> like, you know, my Starbucks and flying on Southwest Airlines oh, and um, the various shows and things that I enjoy and You're books. just doubling down on that Starbucks. Yeah, it's cool. But the four endorsements that uh, were... That you still use? Yeah. Yeah. Either, well, that were so good that like have stuck with me and I've re-endorsed mm-hmm. um, were from the, the guys that did the movie Delt. They recommended the Disaster Artist book, mm-hmm. which obviously came out as a movie. And now there's all this James Franco controversy and all that stuff. But the book is just like one of the funniest books I've ever read. I could not stop laughing. It was just so funny. So well-written. Um, next, uh, the Meyerowitz stories. Uh, Paul oh, Briganti man. recommended that. Did you watch, watch it? I haven't watched that movie. It's on Netflix and also has Dustin Hoffman, another person recently mired in controversy. Oh, God, that's a, Dustin Hoffman's one of the worst. Yeah, but um, the movie is just really good. And I think even Nerdwriter, someone did a video essay about why the dialogue is so, or how to write realistic dialogue. Mm. And he used a scene from that. And it's like the dialogue in that movie is just, so real there's a scene where ben stiller is talking to dustin hoffman who dustin hoffman is his dad and they're having this full-on like five minute conversation and they are just talking about two totally different things and not listening to each other at all like ben stiller (laughs) is talking about like his work and like how he got a promotion recently and things are going well and dustin hoffman is talking about how like he's got an art show coming up and like he hopes people show up (laughs) and it's it just you watch and it feels like you've had that conversation with your parents like a million times so yeah that was a great one Carlin told us about this thing called Free the Bid, which is uh, like a program that some commercial production companies uh, were electing to be a part of where they basically kind of vowed that every time they put up a director, like a list of directors for a commercial project, they'll try to include at least one female director. Um, The truth is I haven't really seen it that much in the world, like enacted. I mean, I've, I've heard of people like, actively looking for like female directors which is cool but i know like even when we had maureen on and she's like i want to get the job because i'm good not because i'm like a female director you know I, I don't know and i asked carlin about it she said oh i'll take it i'll just take a job no matter what you know if that's sure. why they like me yeah and i'm probably the same if they're like we need a director that has a two-year-old daughter that lives in silver lake and i'm the only one that fits the bill i will happily take the job <laughs> i still think that's a cool thing and I honestly, every time I've talked to a production company since then, I'm like, have you guys heard of Free the Bid? And like, you know, I don't know. I think it's it's cool. Um, and then lastly, Eric Kissack, on the first time he was on our podcast, he recommended this po- this other podcast called Slate's Political Gab Fest. Oh, yeah. You love that show. And yeah, I never heard of it before then. And I still listen to it. It's probably the only political podcast I still listen to because... There's this guy on it, John Dickerson. He mm-hmm. used to host CBS Face the Nation, yeah, and good. now I think he hosts whatever that Lester Holt show was. Yeah, he's super duper smart, though. Yeah, and he is not like you know he's like probably a coastal, uh, you know, mm-hmm. type of guy. You yeah. know, he probably leans left personally, but he is really good at talking about mm-hmm. uh, an issue analytically and fairly and he does not seem to come at all from like a left or right side like he'll like yeah when people are bagging on trump for doing something he'll be like well obama did the same thing you know yeah yeah. But, yeah he's real no nonsense in a way that's like 
maybe actually feels because I'm so insulated by lefty pinkos. Mm-hmm. He feels right wing to me. No. But John Dickerson? Yeah. He's not in terms of actual. I'm saying my calibration is so. He so, interviewed Donald so Trump and Trump walked out in the middle of the interview. Yeah. he That guy just is smarter than basically everyone he ever meets. Yeah. So like, and isn't afraid to <laughs> prove it in ways that are. Right. You know, kind of incredible. So. Yeah. Well, because I started out listening to this podcast. You know, I started, I listened to a lot of podcasts that were very one-sided and very like resistance oriented. Mm-hmm. And while I appreciate them, they just kind of, you know, it's like watching CNN or Fox News. They it's just keep repeating chamber. the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And it slates political gab fest. They just seem smarter than, not smarter, but like they're, they're not like one person's such a genius and the other yeah. person's such an idiot. They... They think both sides are geniuses and idiots. Do you um you ever listen to uh, Slate's Culture Gab Fest? Uh, pop culture Gab Fest. Well, yes, they do cover pop culture, but it's a it's a it's hoity toity. Okay, um, I guess I it's don't. Like, um, Julia Turner, Steve Metcalf, and uh, Dana I, Stevens. Sounds familiar. Are Maybe core, I they're not. Reporters. It's not in my like top five podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, but it was kind of a big podcast that i listened to before we started this one is uh they do uh just straight up endorsements they're not paid but you know, right you know like one cool things from right Script Script Notes. Notes. Uh, which i think actually they got maybe from slate, slate. as well yeah anyway could be well, so yeah panoply, panoply network yeah they're pretty good pretty good um cool well, i i the main endorsement that i would say i've taken away from all 100 episodes is Melissa's freedom. The, um, uh, distraction blocker. It's a program. Wait, but didn't you use that before? I used a different one that was not as good. Freedom is the best. Oh, wow. So freedom is, um, an app basically that lets you disable whatever websites you want for whatever amount of time you want. You can schedule it as well. Uh, and it is great and has significantly helped me with my writing output. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I'm like on the precipice of using it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're in an emergency, you have a couple different modes. If you're in an emergency and you need to just like check your email or use Facebook or whatever, you can still do it, but there's just enough barriers that you kind of typically you stop yourself before you get to the point where you've turned your internet back on. Right. And also you can automate it. So like you can wake up in the morning and like not have your email for two hours if you want. Right. Well, I will say my favorite Starbucks, which has become really popular probably because I endorsed it on this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The just shoot it bump, they call it. Yeah. Now the internet there is not nearly as fast as before (sighs) I endorsed it. Well, that's good, man. Yeah. So it's like fast enough where I can like check an email or like look up a definition on or look for an alternative word on thesaurus.com. But it's not fast enough for me to like watch Vimeo videos all day. I would love like a internet speed throttle. (laughs) Like crappy internet. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I want to know that I'm not going to miss an important email. And like you said, like look something up if I need to. But yeah. But also freedom can do that. Freedom could just be, I, my list is like blocking all of my best distractions, but I still have Gmail if I need it. Right. Well, cool, man. Well, a hundred episodes. Thanks guys for hanging in there and gals. Yeah. And, uh, we are 
not really planning on stopping anytime soon. Yeah, no, this is basically the plan. In fact, we are going to make this podcast better. Yeah. We, we have yet to figure out how. Yeah, we're working on it. But if you have suggestions, uh, drop us a line. We always appreciate those. Or leave them in an iTunes review. Um, we're going to do another live show, actually, we can talk about in April, early April. We'll be doing one at USC. I think it's open to the public. Yeah, I think it is. It's through the, their film school program. Yeah, uh, Talent Week, though, we'll be doing that, um, which will be super super fun. We'll probably do a couple things with them. Um, so if you're in the greater LA area and want to come, come hang out, we'll have more details on that to come. Um, and in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Just Shoot It Pod, on Instagram at Just Shoot It Pod. Email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. Or you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. And me at Smitey Pileg. And this episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. Thanks, Ewan. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Take it home, Jazar. (laughs) Take it home. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye.